Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Some people might say that 2017 Cedarville alumnus Drew Brandt is kind of squirrely. He loves the outdoors, makes fun out of anything, has tons of energy, and embraces the unexpected like an old friend. Drew's bride, Allie, can confirm that. She was planning a wedding in May, but ended up with FaceTime nuptials in March, with a pastor in Dallas and a living room sanctuary in Alabama because Drew saw the coronavirus coming. Enjoy this story, as well as how Drew found the perfect place and people to combine his creative spirit with a deep love for the Lord, now with your host, Mark Weinstein. Welcome back to the Cedarville Stories podcast. My name is Mark Weinstein, and I'm your host for the podcast, and today is a very special podcast. As uh, as you know, we're doing these podcasts uh, from remote locations. I'm in my house in Fairborn, Ohio, and my guest today comes from us from deep in the heart of Texas. Dallas, Texas, precisely. Drew Brandt, a 2017 graduate of Cedarville University, joins me today. Welcome, Drew. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Good to see you. Good to talk to you. For background purposes, Drew comes from a Cedarville legacy family. His dad attended Cedarville. He studied engineering. All five brothers will have earned their degrees from Cedarville. Uh, Drew earned a degree in industrial and innovative design. And we'll take just a look at how God is using that degree in Drew's life. First, just to start to get to know you a little bit, what was it like to grow up in a family with five very energetic boys, including yourself? Um, it was it was a lot of fun. My mom chose to homeschool most of us through eighth grade. So all of the time, there were just a lot of people in the house at once a lot of energy. So, and we grew up, we grew up in a suburb with a Creek in the backyard. So it was just a lot of playing, a lot of horsing around, but there was never, it was never boring. I think, I think that's what was fun about having, having four brothers growing up is we just always had something to do, some game to play, some way to get in trouble. What, what, is, what is the age differential from Peter, who's the oldest, correct? To uh, yeah, yeah, Peter is Christian for the guys, for the for the boys. Christian, what's the age differential? I think I think it's ten years. Peter is in his early thirties, and Christian's yeah, like twenty one. And how old are you? I'm twenty four. Okay, so I ask that because there's not a big age difference, so you could still play with each other as as boys growing up, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all about two years apart from from research. You had a fascination with squirrels. <laughs> what, what is this story about squirrels in your life? Okay, well, let's see. So we lived in Virginia for a while. And um, in the neighborhood we lived in in Northern Virginia, there were squirrels everywhere. They were kind of like, they were like the rodents of the suburbs there. And they used to get into our trash all the time and like eat all the bird seed in the the bird feeders. Mm-hmm. So my dad got really fed up with them one year <laughs> and decided to, to like have his vengeance against the squirrels of Montclair. So he bought this squirrel trap from Home Depot and would, would catch a couple squirrels in it and then go take them to a different neighborhood and let them go. It got me thinking how easy it was to catch a squirrel with one of these squirrel traps. You just put a little peanut butter in it. And then sure enough, by the end of the day, you'd, you'd have a squirrel in there. Well, I was working at a a Greek restaurant in the town and there was a, a guy who did, who did dishes there named Jonte. 
and me and Jonte were just goofing around in the back at Georgia's. And somehow we were talking about squirrels and he was talking about how, how difficult it would be to catch a squirrel. How no one could catch a squirrel. And I, I thought, I was like, I, I, bet I, I bet I could catch a squirrel. <laughs> and he was like, no, nah, no, nah, you can't catch a squirrel, man. Like that's impossible. <laughs> I was like, no, I think I, I think I really could. I don't think it'd be that hard. And he made a bet with me. He said, I'll, I'll pay you $20 if you can catch me a squirrel. And he didn't know I had a special trap. So I, I took him up on the bed and we shook on it. <laughs> and I went home that day, set up the squirrel trap, put a little peanut butter on it. And sure enough, a couple hours later, I had a, had a squirrel caught in the trap. So I put it in the trunk of my car, drove off to the, the Greek restaurant. <laughs> I, I called out Jonte. I was like, hey, I got your squirrel. He's like, no way, man. Like, there's no way we have a squirrel. And sure enough, I popped the trunk and I show him the squirrel. And he's like, wow, you really did catch a squirrel. And he paid me 20 bucks. <laughs> and then he asked me, he's like, well, can I keep the squirrel? Like, if you're not going to use it, can I have it? And I was like, sure. If you want a pet squirrel, like, I don't care. So he took it home and he kept it for a few days as, as a pet. And it made me think like, that was the easiest 20 bucks I've ever made in my life. So I decided to go, I went to a, uh, the public high school nearby I was a junior and I went and told everyone at school I was like hey guys I'm selling squirrels if anyone wants a squirrel they're 20 bucks a piece just <laughs> let me know and high schoolers are so weird everyone wanted a squirrel it was like the hot business for that week people were coming to me kids I didn't even know were coming up and asking me for a, a squirrel I was like the, the squirrel dealer in the parking lot like <laughs> kids would come up to my car I'd pop the trunk and transfer their squirrel to a cardboard box and they'd pay me 20 bucks. And then uh, eventually there were too many concerns about uh, like kids getting bit by squirrels and rabies and right. the security guards started telling me I couldn't sell squirrels on school property. So eventually the business had to get shut down, but it was, it was the hot commodity for a week or so at Forest Park High School. So, so your parents were all on board with this idea or did they know this was happening? No, no, they didn't know. I think I told my mom a couple of years later. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It would have been shut down a lot sooner if they had found out. Yeah. So hearing that story, you know, you've been described as someone who doesn't like to be entertained. You like to create entertainment from your story. You may be an entrepreneur as well. Can you recall a time at Cedarville as a student or now where you've used this interest in creating entertainment to bring joy to others and to yourself? One of, one of the cool things about going to Cedarville is you're in like a small town. Like there's only, only like so many standard options for entertainment. So it's really easy to end up having to get creative to make your own fun, which is, which is one thing that was, was really cool about going there. Um, people came up with the wackiest ideas for having fun. And I don't know, the first thing that came to mind um, was actually, it wasn't technically at Cedarville, but in Columbus, my junior year with the ICC, you know, like the industrial design students live in Columbus, their junior and senior year. We found a YouTube video, I think, of, of someone who built a raft out of 55 gallon drums. And we were all like designers with like at least a tiny bit of like construction knowledge. So we thought it'd be fun in the, in the winter to build a 10 foot by 10 foot raft. So that was our entertainment for one, one winter. We built this raft that we could break down, put in my friend's truck and we take it to different lakes around Columbus and have campfires on it or different boat parties on our raft around Columbus. That was our 
entertainment for one year. It's a cool story of merging creativity and engineering and fun. That had to be a lot of fun for your fellow classmates too. Yeah, it was a blast. They were fun guys. Now, you also have some fun stories. Maybe your favorite spring break story. Do you have a favorite spring break trip story? Every spring break, we always kind of did the same trip. A couple of us would get together and start, you know, obviously in Cedarville and we'd borrow somebody's mom's minivan for the for the week and basically drive as far as we could west, ending up as many as many national parks as we could along the way and doing it for as little as little money as possible. One of the, one of the funnest times we had during one of those trips was we went to the Grand Canyon for the first time. And this was my freshman year. I was with two friends, John Moss and Cody Franklin. Mm-hmm. And um, we we were not prepared at all for like hiking. <laughs> we had not been doing any exercise or staying in shape for any any sort of physical activity. And we went to the Grand Canyon and thought we could hike down to the very bottom and back up in a day. And when we looked, when we did some research on the hike, we saw that it was a, a seven mile hike, which we thought was the whole thing, but it turns out it's just seven miles down and seven miles back. And the, the problem with, with canyons mm-hmm. we found out is that it's really easy going down. You can use almost no energy getting to the bottom. And then you have to expend all your energy trying, trying to get back up. Whereas mountains, you do all the hard work in the beginning. On this hiking trip, we, we got all the way to the bottom and realized we, we ran out of water and we ran out of food, but we didn't have any cell service and we had to get back up. And as we, were, as we started our trek back up, we realized that it was taking us three times as long to get back up. A couple miles you know, back up, we started falling over and cramping and our legs were tightening up. Mm. You know, we, we finished all our water and all our food. And it got to the point where we realized we might not all make it out of the canyon. So one of us, one of us took the keys to the car and went ahead of everybody, made it back out of the Grand Canyon before the sunset. And we had to, we had to get the car from the campsite and drive 10 miles back to the trailhead and come back down with flashlights to get the, the other guys from the crew before sunset and the park shut down. But the next time we went, we had to do a lot better planning ahead of time and make sure we were in shape. But it was, it was a lot of fun adventures like that. That had to be pretty scary though, to be in the midst of not out of the Canyon yet. It's dark. How are you going to make this uh, completion? That had to be a little frightening. <laughs> yeah. We were a little worried about it. I think we we're all trying to play it cool, pretending we weren't, we weren't worried about it. But I think every one of us was, a little, a little worried when you have no cell service and no food and no, <laughs> no water. Right. But it ended up all right. We, we did okay. Good but we were very sore the next morning. I bet you were. So you're obviously a person who has fun, but I also know that there's a serious side to you. And I want to transition a little bit now from fun to really, I'm interested in hearing about your spiritual journey, how you met Jesus. And can you share your story with us? My family, um, my parents are both Christians, and mm-hmm. they 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 were raised in great great families, and were strong believers when they they got married and had all of their had all of their children. So for me, growing up was Christianity was kind of taken for for granted. It was just like what my family did, and it was you know somehow it felt like I was born into. And I always understood like the the Bible verses, mm-hmm. you know, going to Awana, watching Veggie Tales, all of like the classic Christian things. 
I, at some point in, I think it was fourth grade at VBS, I kind of, I kind of put it all together. Like what it means to trust in God and have a personal relationship with him. And, you know, this be more than just what my family does or some rules I follow. And when I was in fourth grade, I, I trust in God as my savior, but everything was still, it was still easy, you know, being a Christian growing up. I was homeschooled. You know, I spent my whole time with my my mom and my brothers. And it's just like, it's like Christian people all the time. It's it's really easy to be a Christian in that environment, especially when you're young. Mm-hmm. I was homeschooled through eighth grade and then went to high school. And when I got to high school, I, I realized there's like, there's kind of, there were kind of two types of people in, in public high school. There was this group of, at least in my mind, there's this group of Christian kids in high school who were like, they were kind of boring. They were really nice. They didn't do anything bad. They didn't like do drugs or drink, but they like weren't the most exciting, fun people. And then there was this group of really fun, exciting, like crazy people who partied. And I didn't know what to do in high school because I thought if you're like Christ, that should be that should be something enjoyable and fun. And like it shouldn't make you boring. You know, being a Christ follower shouldn't turn you into a boring person. Mm-hmm. But I just saw this weird dichotomy of people going kind of two ways, like with faith and without faith in it. I didn't know what to be in high school. I didn't know whether to like, you know, be this crazy kid that like abandons their faith and has fun or, or be this really pious student who like doesn't have fun anymore. And I didn't know how to walk that line kind of mostly through high school. And then I ended up just going to Cedarville kind of because all my brothers did. I didn't really know what else, where else to go. And it was cool when I, when I did get there, I met, so many people who were both Christians and just really fun, exciting people. They enjoyed life and they, they really soaked in or soaked up opportunities to be themselves and to have fun and be creative and joyous. And they were really strong Christ followers at the same time. And it was cool meeting people when I got to college that were like that and realizing that you didn't have to be one or the other and becoming a Christian didn't make you a stick in the mud. If anything, Christ makes us, if we're like the salt of the earth, you know, salt gives flavor to things. And I met a lot of people who, I guess, had a lot of flavor and they were just, they were fun people. So it was, it's cool to hear that when you came to Cedarville, maybe for the first time, that's where your faith and your personality met together. And it, it, it's cool to be a Christian. You can have fun as a Christian. Do you have any favorite memories from from those times that helped you in your spiritual journey? I had a really great RA my, my freshman year. I'm going to give him a shout out. His name, his name is John Moss. And he, he made it a point to be involved in the lives of all the students in, in our unit. And he wasn't like, I don't know. It's not like he only came in to do room checks and to make sure we went to church that week. It felt like he was, he was a, a friend. And he was, he was interested in our spiritual lives and encouraging in that, but also was like just there to hang out and have fun with us. And that was one thing I, I really appreciated about him. And that's, he was kind of one, one of the first people there that like helped me see that, you know, faith and genuine personality meet. And he kind of fostered that in the unit. I made a lot of good friends from, from that year. That's, that's a cool story. Thanks for sharing. Uh, briefly, I know you were involved in Elive. You were active as a student. You had fun on campus. As a brother now, from a brother's perspective, 
What are your thoughts about your brother Christian not being able to experience those end-of-year experiences his senior year because of the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, I feel bad for him. <laughs> I had a lot of fun, especially especially my senior year. Like you said, there's so many events, especially that go on in that like April, March time frame. Been just soaking it all up at the end of the year. That would be hard to miss out on. It's been nice. He's here in Alabama hanging out with the family. I'm enjoying having him back and hanging out with him. But that's tough. Like I feel for all the all the seniors this year who kind of got their their year cut short. I'm hoping I'm hoping they're enjoying time with their family and being able to find some some light in the midst of a kind of a bummer circumstance. But yeah, it's a it's a tough time to miss out on. It for is. Sure. Yeah, it is. Back to your college experience. You studied industrial innovative design. That's a two-year program out of Columbus. And you had a very interesting senior capstone project. In fact, Jim Stevenson said it was one of the most creative that he's seen. Tell me about your project and how your, back to your personality, how your personality fit into that decision to make that project. The, the cool thing about those senior capstone projects is they, they gave us a lot of freedom to do whatever we were most passionate about. And they, they always encouraged us to do projects that solve problems. So I worked a lot with uh, Gabe Pyle. He's one of the professors there about like about problems we want to fix or things we want to change in the world. And as we were, as we were listening, listing through, you know, all kinds of different problems of things we could, we would want to solve in the world if we could have it our way. One, one thing I landed on was that I, spent a lot of time as a, as a kid and I'm sure you did too playing outside. Oh yeah. Um, like, yeah, getting outdoors, playing around with sticks, building bridges and forts and just spent a lot of time outdoors. And it was something that was um, a really positive experience for me. And I think almost anyone older than me, just being outdoors and getting that creative unstructured playtime. And my, my theory was that it's something that's kind of disappearing for kids, kids today. I think my generation's kind of in a unique spot where we we were we were kids right as the internet was you know starting up. We didn't have much like media or screen time as kids, but then you know by the time we were in college, like Netflix was huge. We were we we're kind of at this turning point where where we went from like outdoors to shifting indoors mm -hmm. in society. So I wanted to I wanted to come up with a, a solution of some kind of product that would encourage kids to spend more time playing outside and the, the end product was this this tree fort parents could set up for their kids in the backyard without any power tools because one thing I found is that some of the most positive positive experiences of older generations that spent time outside was building forts I never had a, a tree fort but I knew a lot of people that did have tree forts so I wanted wanted to make something that was like this is a tree fort that any kid can have but I know a lot of parents don't have the construction skills to be able to build, you know, a tree fort from scratch in their backyard. So the the end product was this basically a platform similar to like a deer blind that any parent could stick in their tree in 30 minutes or less. And it didn't require any power tools to, to set up the whole thing. So as long as you had like an Allen wrench, two people, you could, you could set this thing up in your tree in, in 30 minutes. And then it gave kids a an opportunity to to spend more time with doing unstructured play outside, um, and parents didn't have to have any 
special skills to provide that for their kids. How, um, how much do you think this capstone project helped you getting your job with KidCraft? I, I've talked to my boss about that since I've been hired. And he told me that was the, that was the thing in my portfolio that kind of got him thinking that I'd be, I'd have a spot on the team. So I think it was very, I think it did help, help a lot with getting the job I have at KidCraft because KidCraft had at the time just acquired a, an outdoor play company that makes swing sets and forts. And they were looking for designers that thought about things, you know, in terms of ease of assembly and, mm-hmm. you know, outdoor play patterns. So I think it was very fortunate that I had done that capstone project at the time I did and that KidCraft was in a place of needing needing a, an outdoor designer. I think God really set things up to work out in that way. It was cool. Yeah, he set things up well. Are you do, doing any creative projects like that for KidCraft that you can share? I'm always working on a lot of playhouses. I don't know if it's up right now, but if you if you take a lap around your local Sam's Club, you might see you might see a, a KidCraft playhouse up there on the shelves. Well, thanks for sharing it. When I get to my local Target or Costco, I'll look for some of your product. Yeah, yeah, you have to check it out. As I mentioned uh, at the beginning um, of the podcast, you're currently living in Dallas as a person who enjoys creating fun. Uh, how are you creating fun right now during the coronavirus pandemic quarantine? Yeah, I did just get married. Uh, my wife, Allie, and I have been have been living here, and we've been... We've kind of just been enjoying taking it easy. So you mentioned you recently got married, and let's let's dive into that story as we wrap up. I'm interested in knowing how you met Allie. So you you obviously know Tristan Ferry. He was a good friend of mine all through college. He was in he was in that dorm freshman year and was was one of my close friends. And we stayed in touch, and we actually both ended up working at Lake Ann for different summers. We weren't there for the same summer, but we both worked there. He. He he fell in love with a girl from Lake Ann, and they ended up getting married. And at their wedding, he asked me to be a groomsman. And his his wife Abby asked um, Allie to be a bridesmaid. So two years, almost almost two years ago now, we both flew into Grand Rapids for Abby and Tristan's wedding. And I was there early to hang out with Tristan, and she got in there to you know hang out with Abby and. The two of us met and kind of hit things off at the wedding. I think Tristan and Abby were trying to set us up a little bit. <laughs> so, and it was funny because it was it was Memorial Day weekend. That wedding, we we kind of hit things off at the wedding, and afterward, both of us had a couple extra days before our flights left. So we decided to to go on a date there in Grand Rapids later that weekend. One of our friends ended up driving us to the airport, and we we said goodbye at the gates and left with each other's contact info and decided to keep in touch. And we both had a really great weekend. So we, we kept, you know, texting and calling and pretty soon Allie was doing a road trip through Arkansas and that was the closest she would ever come to Dallas. So I decided to drive up from Dallas to Bentonville, Arkansas later that summer. Hmm. And we met up then and spent a, a weekend hanging out together, doing fun things with her friends around Arkansas. And pretty much from there, we decided not long after uh, we were going to start dating and do a do a long distance relationship. She uh, she was in she was living in Minnesota, but eventually moved to North Carolina to get her master's in nutrition. And then we've pretty much for the last two years been flying back and forth from Dallas to North Carolina whenever we can, doing um, uh, holidays with families and with her family and 
uh, Rochester, Minnesota and my family in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, yeah, until, until now when we got married. So is it fair to say that from the very early time, maybe the first time you met Allie, that you thought that she was the one that God was leading you to marry? I was, I was definitely interested from, from day one, for sure. I, I'm very bad at like for, forcing the future. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> never been good at that. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm the type to be like, she's the one. Um, so, but I, I for sure liked Allie since we met and it only became clearer and clearer as we, as we were dating that she was, she was the one. So you're dating, you're doing a long, the long distance relationship. You decide to get married. I, I presume you set a wedding date, but something happened that changed that. Tell me what happened. <laughs> yeah. So, so we got engaged last year in July and set a wedding date for May 9th, about nine or so months out and just started, you know, doing the standard wedding planning, you know, making a guest list, ordering invitations. It was, we set our wedding to actually be here in Alabama. We were going to do a, a backyard wedding and, you know, we were keeping up with our checklist, booking things with venues and stuff. And then, um, you know, this coronavirus thing, uh, became a bigger concern at the beginning of February. And at that point, we pretty much had everything. Most things kind of set up, you know, people were invited, making plans to come. And Allie, she came down to Dallas to visit. We were, you know, doing, doing wedding planning at my apartment one evening. And um, we started hearing more and more about this coronavirus thing spreading and you know, international travel being shut down. And, you know, it became apparent that this wasn't just a small thing isolated to some small city in China. It was, it was becoming something big. So we started considering like, maybe, maybe we have a different wedding plan. And then my work got canceled. I could, I could work remotely. So we're like, well, we've got a bunch of wedding decorations here at my apartment. Her school got canceled. My work's remote. So we decided to just load up all the wedding stuff in, in the car and then drive to Alabama that weekend. That was I think the second second week of March. Immediately we started making some backup plans because the CDC said you couldn't do gatherings over 50. So we reduced it down to just like immediate family and bridal party. And then, and then we realized even that was kind of risky and we didn't want people to get sick or hmm. just, um, like, <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to be responsible for anyone, <laughs> anyone getting sick at our wedding. We didn't want to risk that. That'd be kind of, we felt that might be kind of selfish. So, Pretty much in in a week, we went from you know planning on having a a hundred you know twenty person wedding to to a thirty person wedding to all right let's let's just sign the document and have my family here um, and we called in uh, Allie's parents on FaceTime we called in a pastor on FaceTime my mom had ordered a ton of plants for the the actual wedding in May. So we set them all up in one corner of the room, made our own little day of altar and had just a really small family wedding in the living room and ended up getting married that way about two months before our original date. What's your uh, wedding date? March 18th. Okay. So you got married March 18th. But what you just told me, um, I wasn't aware of the pastor who married you did that via FaceTime. Yeah, he did. Yeah. We called him that day. He was, he was, he's my pastor. Um, in Dallas? From Dallas. Okay. Yeah, and he had done Allie and I's uh, premarital counseling. He was really excited about it, and he probably knows the two of us best out of 
any of our, you know, pastors from the last couple of years. He put on a suit and went, he even went down to the church for it and <laughs> FaceTimed us from there and yeah, did the whole ceremony for us. It was cool. Wow. You know, I've heard of a lot of new things with this pandemic, you know, Zoom meetings and, but I've never heard of anyone getting married via FaceTime. So that's really creative. Yeah. And actually it fits your personality <laughs> there, Drew. Yeah, I suppose it does. A lot of people have told us it's very us. I have time for one more question. I've changed this question um, since the pandemic. And that is right now, what is the Lord teaching you as you read scripture, as you pursue him during this pandemic period? I think the the biggest thing that's been really obvious to me and probably to a lot of people is how how fragile all our human plans are and how how strong God's plans for things are in comparison and how trying to trying to put all our trust and hope in our own our own fragile plans is is a silly thing to do um, and how God God's not asking us to live our lives planning out what our our yearly bread will be or our monthly bread will be but just asking God for our to provide us our, our daily bread for this day. I've been, I guess I've been thinking about the, the scripture from James. I'm just going to paraphrase because I don't have it memorized, but that, that part when James talks about how it's, it's silly to plan, you know, a year in advance to do business and to do this or that. But um, it's, it's wise to instead say like, if it's God's will, we will do this. And just living according to his will each day. Cause all we have is, the present and today. And that's all we can, we have to work with. It's silly to, to try to step outside of that or try to be more powerful than God and pretend we can control the future because we can't. And, you know, it's, it's good to try to, to plan ahead <clears throat> and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. plan a wedding if you can, but you also need to be ready for, for God to do his own work and do something different and be able to roll with that and not get um, caught up in what, what you want. But, uh, what he has planned instead. Yeah, I I concur with, with what you just said. That's probably one of the greatest lessons that I've been learning during this pandemic is, uh, you know, I have plans, um, but my plans aren't always God's plans, and His plans are right and best for me and for us. Mm-hmm. And so I I commend you for hearing that voice and hearing that directive and uh, just leading uh, Allie and you well. I've loved hearing your story today. You know, I. As I said earlier offline that um, I know Quinn, I, I remember Quinn when he uh, was on the American <laughs> Bible Challenge hosted by Jeff yeah. Foxworthy. I was out in LA with with him then. I met your mom there. I know Adam and I know his story about being having a brain tumor removed by Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, I remember right. I remember seeing, uh, able to connect uh, Adam with Dr. Carson when he came back, to, to came to Cedarville for his campaign. And so... The, the branch story has um, meant a lot to me and I've enjoyed following the little branches that I've branches that I've uh, been able to see. And uh, your story is uh, very inspiring. I, I thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. 
And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory. 